How's everyone doing? My name is Caleb Koo, and you're listening to Inside the Musical Mind on Midtown Radio. Something that's been on my mind recently is the idea of genres. Now, I'm sure many of you have had a conversation with a friend trying to describe an artist to them, but you can't really classify them into one genre. Of course, artists have always utilized many influences. However, these days especially, music has become so diverse, it's hard to classify things into just one genre. The genre of Americana, I find, was created for that exact purpose. By the definition of the Americana Music Association, Americana is contemporary music that incorporates elements of various American roots, including country, roots rock, folk, bluegrass, R&B, and blues. Now this is really interesting because if you think about traditional bluegrass and traditional R&B, how completely separate they are. Of course, there's similar chord progressions and elements there, but if you really think about the core fundamental of what the music is and what the music came from, they're so massively different. And artists are, are able to blend them so freely that we have to create a whole new label to try and describe it, because you can't really describe one as bluegrass or one as R&B. They, they very much blend together and create this beautiful, diverse, homogenized mix of just music. Another thing that's very similar to that would be uh, jazz, because jazz started off as musical show tunes, that was then evolved into different varieties. You had jazz coming from New Orleans, right, which is kind of the foundation of a lot of jazz, but then you had the gypsy jazz movement in um, Europe. You had past that bebop. Then you had, of course, a massive amount of blues influence. And so it creates all these different subgenres, right? I'm sure many people have heard of uh, like smooth jazz or cool jazz. And then you have bebop, you have hard bop. Got jazz fusion, <laughs> got world jazz, goes all over the place. Another place is hip hop. Hip hop is a massive, massive force right now that's growing, and there's so many different varieties. And considering the fact that hip hop just turned 50 years old, it's pretty incredible to think of how much the genre has progressed since its roots. Hip hop has spanned such a a, a massive range of of artists, um, and production styles and so many different things that it's absolutely fascinating to watch it grow and develop. As a musician, I've also seen this a lot in my work. Oftentimes I'll be playing, for example, a folk song and get asked to do an indie guitar solo on top of it. Uh, another big trend is, in many genres, being asked to add extended harmony, such as jazz chords. Right? So in, in genres all the way from, from country to hip-hop to folk to R&B to funk, pop, everybody really is chasing that extended harmony of, of jazz chords with sevenths and ninths and elevenths and such to make their music sound very rich and colorful because that's the, the trend and it's it's great i love doing it <laughs> in that train of thought we've got a great show coming up for you featuring local country musician nick boardman from waterloo ontario emerging country singer nick boardman is jumping right into the country music scene from down south blues to country rock to way back traditional country nick's sound is captivating to all Nick has been working on his debut EP, which will be released in 2023. In November of 2020, Nick was chosen as the Fresh Picks artist on Country 93, receiving airplay on several country stations. As well, in January of 2021, Nick's music video for his song Tread Lightly was nominated for an Independent Canadian Music Video Award. 2023 brought new shows, festivals, and new music. Nick is also a big outdoorsman and often be found fishing. Let's take a listen to Beam Blues, his latest single. Beam 
Well, I felt what you said When you said our love was dead So I went to where I called home A lonesome man shouldn't be alone But it ain't just me I've got my misery And a big old bottle Of old Jimmy Beam I've got the Beam Blues I walk toes in my shoes I've got the Beam Blues What's a lonesome mind to do A puff of smoke falls my mind And takes me to another time When I was in lonesome blue Laid up thinking of you I need myself a saving grace To save me from this cold place I've got the beam Blues I walk towards in my shoes I've got the beam Blues What's a lonesome night to do here with Nick Boardman. How you doing tonight, Nick? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. 
first of all, let's start off with how you would describe your own music in a couple words. Oh, this is difficult. Let's number one. I would hopefully say good because if it wasn't, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be attempting it. Um, I would say, you know, uh, realistically, I would say v- uh, vintage. I think I draw a lot of inspiration from some older things and some things that uh, aren't from modern times. Uh, I would also say uh, it's a bit of a fusion. It's a bit of a blend. Uh, of, you know, kind of different influences I have in terms of blues and old country and a little bit of southern rock. And uh, you know what? Fun. I think it's fun. I think if I'm not having fun doing it, listeners aren't going to have fun listening to it. So what's the point? Absolutely, man. Authenticity is key. You have to try. Okay. Let's backpedal a little. Who is Nick Boardman? Whoa. (laughs) Sound like my (laughs) Um, (laughs) ex-girlfriend. So when did you first start singing? When, When did you get involved in music? Where did it first appear in your life? Yeah, um, I think I have a bit of a funny, I had a bit of a funny introduction to music. Let's as opposed to Sure, sure. As opposed to a lot of other people. Um, it's not something that I really was inclined uh, to do when I was young. Uh, I took piano lessons for like a month and I was like, <laughs> no, I'd rather go catch frogs somewhere. And uh, yeah, it was just something that like, it's always been in my family. Uh, my uncle's very musically inclined. My cousins are as well. And we've always had music playing in the house just throughout the day. And, uh, yeah, and then kind of in high school, uh, I had a few friends kind of start, you know, form those bands where you make people's ears bleed. And I started singing with some of those guys. And a couple of them pulled me aside and said, look, like, you know, you're not, you're not horrible at this. <laughs> Stick with this. This could be something. And I was just like, you know, what? no, 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 I'm not worried about this. And then uh, just kind of as the years have gone on, um, I fell in love with songwriting and performance. Uh, I used to do a little bit of acting. So performance is just something that I'm very comfortable with. Um, and, yeah, and I... I started gigging, I, I want to say, probably two years ago now. I went to Seneca for their independent songwriting performance program, met a lot of great people. And uh, ever since there, I've just been releasing music, uh, gigging the most I ever have recently. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. Well, let's backpedal. So what kind of music uh, were you around when you were growing up? What was the general kind of artist, genres, any standout songs? A lot of, it was a big blend. My dad is like a big Southern rock guy, so Skinner's always been something that's been oh, around. Yeah. Um my mom loves the Eagles, always loved the Eagles, so she has like the Eagles' greatest hit CD, <laughs> so that was playing all the time, and it still plays, somehow we, we haven't worn that one out, and uh, my uncle's actually, he's Ecuadorian, so a lot of um, Spanish music, Oh wow! and that was something that I was raised around, and uh, just like the whole the whole cadence and the songwriting is completely different than anything I had heard, mm-hmm. so it was fascinating, and it's still something that today that I just, I can really I've come to appreciate, um, but yeah, just a diverse range of songs. Very interesting. And so when you started doing those kinds of early bands in high school, what did you find? Was it just the kind of standard garage band, like 90s stuff? We went for the jugular. We were trying to be a ZZ Top ZZ Top. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were doing Sharp Dress Man in grade 8. I and mean, there's a video somewhere. It, it shouldn't exist anymore. But, yeah, a lot of ZZ Top, Skinnered. Um, and if you're really feeling frisky, throw a little journey in there. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Man, what a contrast, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can get ZZ Top and Skinner, man, but Journey's a little bit of a, a leap there. But I'm know. sure those shows were a waste of time. But <laughs> well, I'm sure people had fun. We're still alive, so we cannot do too bad. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so then after high school, you've been doing some singing and stuff. How did you end up at Seneca? How did you make the choice to go there? Yeah, Um. so I want to say... Probably my first year of university, I went to Guelph for environmental science, mm. which I did not complete environmental science. <laughs> um, I was there for a year. I just really didn't enjoy my time there. Um, I had a lot of fun. We did a lot of partying, drank a couple pops. Um, but 
I throughout that year started songwriting, mm. and it was just kind of something up in my dorm. Uh, and luckily enough, my roommate uh, Ben, who's become a friend, he's a musician as well. So we'd do some songwriting. We'd always just show each other different music and bounce different songs off each other. And uh, I still distinctly remember one night we were just sitting in bed. I think we just come back from a party. He was over on his side. I'm on my side. And I just said to him, I said, wouldn't the ultimate dream be being a full-time musician, uh, recording, touring, and you can hire your friends and you kind of, you push the speed of the whole, the whole train. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, that'd be pretty cool. And I think he passed out, but it's something (laughs) that it's something that I still think about to this day. And it's kind of a driving force. And in that moment, I realized, you know, it's time to advocate for what I want to actually do. Uh, Let's give music a shot. Mm -hmm. So I went to, uh, following Guelph, I went to Conestoga College for radio. And I was on the radio for a while, just kind of, you know, learning the tech a little bit more, being around music. And then after that, fully actually making the jump, or the jump, I should say, to uh, going to Seneca for specifically music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's probably a good background to have, like the uh, experience of speaking on the radio, right? Because that's such a a raw kind of medium where you have to be very crystal clear, with what you say and how you act and, you know, in, in all those ways, right? Yeah, and it was a lot of fun, too, like, just coming up with writing. I mean, the whole creativity of it. You would have to write your shows every day. Uh, make sure you're not swearing or else you get fined. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it all kind of combined. Honestly, if I'm being entirely honest, the whole reasoning I did the whole radio thing, which I'm very thankful for now, is um, I read an old Waylon Jennings biography where mm-hmm. he was on the radio for a bit. I went, oh, Waylon did that, and he became a cool musician. Maybe I could do the same. I'll say, man, a lot of great careers have been have happened by just following your heroes, right? It's true. It's true. As oh, long as you don't do their, their bad things. That is true. <laughs> okay, so now you're at Seneca. How did you find the program? Was there any specific elements of it that you found you really benefited from? Yeah, I was really attracted to Seneca's program specifically because of the performance aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, at this po- at that point in my life, I had been writing, I had a couple singles recorded, uh, but I didn't really have a lot of experience actually performing for like a real crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was something I really gravitated towards, and I got to work with uh, Mika Barnes. Um, he was in the Nylons at one point in time, and he's a great musician up, up in Toronto. He's still out there killing it. Um, and we just really kind of studied the art of performing, what it takes to be a performer. And uh, with the, th- you know, the side of theory as well and a little bit of um, application. But, uh, yeah, that was something that really attracted or was attractive to me. So I did the, uh, the application process. I did the audition. I got in. And uh, I met some great people that, uh, you know, we're still, we're, we're still playing with today. We're, yeah. still, we're still around. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so going into it, were you, was it primarily more of a general kind of performance program or was it more focused on vocals and such? Um, it was kind of focused, I would say, on vocals uh performance also as well as being like attentive to the crowd mm. um i mean obviously teaching how to be a performer is kind of a, a funny paradox because it's one of those things you have to do to, Absolutely, yeah. to uh to be able to kind of know the craft of it it's something i'm still learning um but heavy on you know working with people or being attentive while you're doing the performance and then the other flip of it was uh we had to choose an instrument mine was guitar mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of sticking with that and then we also had vocal lessons that was kind of mandatory for everybody in the program yeah and uh, I grew immensely from from actually being trained for the first time in my life, um, recognizing my bad habits, how to use my mechanics a little bit better to actually achieve what I want to do. But mm-hmm. uh, it kind of amalgamation of a bit of everything. Yeah. Well, how did you find, um, I guess, your ability to create pre uh, Seneca and post Seneca? How how did that did the music school affect your creativity, and, and what were the positives and the negatives of that? Yeah, that's an interesting question, I guess. Um, I would say that definitely the positives were the the focus on writing. We mm-hmm. did a lot of writing with um, Murray Foster from uh, Great Big C. 
he was one of our professors and I just absorbed a lot from him. Yeah. Um, look great musician just a great person to be around and learn from and uh yeah we we did a lot of writing so i got to collaborate with a lot of people where i was writing with people that were writing you know indie rock music or people mm-hmm. that are writing pop music and uh, i was real you know i was probably one of the only one or two guys in there doing a damn with country yeah. but uh yeah we kind of got sat down together and uh got to collaborate with a lot of different genres different styles and people you know i'd sit down with somebody and they go i can't play guitar and you go oh, i'm gonna have to do it for this one <laughs> and so that would force me out of my comfort zone to kind of apply myself in, the, in that regard but um those are the positives mm-hmm. uh i can't think of any negatives off the top of my head no. um i think yeah it just made me aware of where i was in my career at that point mm-hmm. um it made me kind of take stock of where I ne- where I needed to go and what I needed to do. Yeah, it's always an interesting experience because I find a lot with uh, students of mine, older students, when they're, they're really scared of learning theory and learning proper training because they're like, oh, it's going to take away my creativity, man. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I really think it's not. <laughs> no, you'd be very surprised. I mean, you would know especially, but theory is just kind of like a, it's like an escalator. The more yeah. you learn, the kind of the higher up you go and you can apply and maybe it's not something that's on the forefront of your mind when you're actually being creative, but mm-hmm. it's it's definitely taking it to a different level. My motto is it never hurts to know a little bit more, right? Yeah, that's true. N plus one. <laughs> Unless it's about crime, then you shouldn't know more about crime. That might be an exception <laughs> to the rule. <laughs> that could be true. Okay, all right. So we got a we got a, a, a well-formed Dick Morbin here coming out of Seneca, right? Now you're entering the gigging world. How'd that happen? What was your first gig? <sighs> yeah, so my first gig official gig i would say uh i'd been playing like small busking things or play like talent contests and things like that um i got a phone call from a pub out in uh, listowel mm-hmm. uh, near listowel i should say and a friend of mine was working there as a server at the time and they said hey we'd love to come have you uh like two weeks or something like that can you come play a four-hour show yeah and I said yes, and then the next two weeks I was a ball of anxiety, just putting together <laughs> a four-hour show and getting it ready, and uh, and it went about as well as like a first show can go. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be like we blew it up because no, <laughs> but we also didn't just like it wasn't terrible, um, and I just got hungry for it after that. It yeah. was just oh, I love the do- I love doing this. I love the writing. I love performing it, but I love you know going around place to place and, and doing it for different people, and uh, yeah, and then from there it just kind of took off, and I've. I've gigged quite a few places across Ontario, um, a lot of different venues, some bars, some theaters, some mm-hmm. clubs and things like that, some festivals. And uh, yeah, and it's just, I'm sure as you know too, once it kind of rains, it, it pours a little bit. Oh, absolutely. You get your name out there and you start playing on different bills with different people. And uh, <laughs> as long as you're a good person, a, a good musician, <laughs> you're going to get a call you're back. You're definitely getting a call back. You'll get yeah. a call back. Um, and that's kind of been the, the word of mouth has just really kind of helped me, especially this past year. I've just, I've booked... Things I never would have thought I would have ever played, uh, mm-hmm. especially at this stage in my career. And uh, yeah, no complaints from me, really. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's once you start getting that bug for performances, not even just the opportunities, just the actual like you feel a drive. You just want to keep on doing it, right? Because it's so much fun. And then you get paid, and you're like, oh my gosh, you're paying me to do this, and I'm having so much fun. It's <laughs> oh, even getting paid that makes it better too. Yeah. How many free gigs have we done? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, boys, we got some cords in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's two beers for eight hours of your time. Oh man, what would if uh, what, what's your favorite PG memory of gigging? Thank you for the prelude to that. <laughs> just, I could have gone somewhere. Driving it there. <laughs> um, one of my favorite memories, I think, that I have still is um, probably it's kind of a there's two, but it's the same gig. When uh, we did the horseshoe in Toronto, the horseshoe tavern, oh, yeah. and uh, we sat in the green room. And we just 
we were just giggling and, and holding court down there for probably an hour or two, just with all these the names of people we listened to on the wall and their stickers and everything. And, and that was pretty surreal. And then after the fact, we were uh, in the back alleyway behind the place, just kind of hanging out, sitting on the tailgate of the truck, all talking about how the set had gone and and how it was it was just crazy. We were actually playing at the Horseshoe Tavern, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that was something that was pretty special. Yeah, man, that was a it was a pretty great night. I love playing the Horseshoe. Whenever I get a chance to play the Horseshoe, it's really because you think you know you play so many. There's so many venues in Toronto. There's so many little kind of medium, small, medium sized clubs, and they're just kind of they come and go but you look at the horseshoe tavern and you think of the actual history that's been there right the rolling stone you think even the bob cajun right he, he mentions that night in toronto it's it's wild it's just it was it was a great show it was a uh, great as a performative experience that as an artist mm-hmm. um and we learned to not close with freebird <laughs> people don't <laughs> sometimes the sound technicians get mad yes <laughs> but that's okay we're not there to play for the sound tech. we still had a fun time we had a the great audience time. had a fun time it was great Alrighty. Well, you've got a bunch of great singles that have come out recently. Is there one that you'd like to show us? Yeah. So this uh, next one coming up here is uh, Tread Lightly. I co-wrote this one with Matt Cable. We re-released this one and put it out. And uh, it's available on Spotify and wherever you listen to music. Beautiful. Let's hear Tread Lightly by Nick Boardman. This whole thing is killing me God only knows My carnal desire Can be an awful thing Especially when you internalize Such an old thing Tread lightly on my heart Please don't tear me all apart I don't know if anyone could ever take her part I can't guarantee that I can be the man you want me to be, but I'm a woman. Take her part and go slowly away. 
That was Tread Lightly by Nick Borbin. You're listening to Inside the Musical Mind on Midtown Radio. I'm Caleb Q, and that's Nick Borbin. That was me, and this is also me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick. So, we heard the song. You got some great chops there. Thank you. What Thank you, would be your biggest musical goal right now? My biggest... Look at the stars. Okay. Okay, I like it. My biggest musical goal, I think... Um, throughout my entire career, regardless of what stage I'm at, is just this is kind of where I, I'd love to be. And I, I, at what point um, that becomes a reality, I don't know. Uh, we're still chasing it down. But I would love to be, you know, touring full time. Uh, I love performing and having a good schedule. That's kind of a balance of, you know, being out on the road uh, and being back. But having my team of people that are out on the road with me being friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I'm working towards. It's something that uh, I'm blessed to have some great people. Uh, I, the guys in the band are friends. They're people I enjoy being around. Um, you know, the people that come to shows and help us set everything up or they, they drive around with us or they're selling shirts or they're selling tickets at the door. Uh, these are all people like they're, they're cousins of mine. They're friends of mine. They're people that I enjoy being around because I, I have the mentality of, you know, let's all eat together. <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. all, let's all enjoy this. Um, and I've been given this great opportunity. And I'd love to I'd love to share with everybody that uh, is along for the ride. So that's kind of yeah, that's the the star goal for me right now. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's um, so it, let's narrow it down. Is there like a, a venue in specific that you've always idolized as a kid or something? I don't know. It, it's kind of crazy because the horseshoe for the past like I would say year or two has yeah. been that, and now we've done that. We so it, it's yeah. like what's next? Um, Red Rocks is some a oh, beautiful venue. Man. That would be pretty cool. We'll see you one day, Red Rocks. And uh, that one's great. Another one would probably be just in Nashville, like on Broadway. Yeah. Roberts Western World's a place I've always loved. It's just a little, it's a real old honky tonk down there. Yeah. Uh, I got to go there one time and I think Sturgill Simpson popped in there last week and played a surprise set. But it's just such a cool little place with all this memorabilia on the wall. And it, it's a, a, a historic spot I'd love yeah. to play. I think the Ryman or the Opry would be cool too. That'd right? be pretty cool too. <laughs> I don't know if we'd be allowed in there, but <laughs> we'll try. You never know. <laughs> so kind of bouncing off of that, um, you have a, kind of a different take on country music. And we were talking about this a little bit before the interview about a recent gig that you actually did where you got introduced uh, as this guy is not like any other country singers that you're going to hear right now, right? Which is this is true. Pretty, pretty big words. It's a big allegation. <laughs> it's a big allegation <laughs> yeah, to oh yeah. towards you and everyone else, right? Yeah. Um, so w- what's your perspective kind of on the state of what country music means today? What does country music mean? I think I'll start with this. What country music means to me as an individual, um, it's it's storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the premise of music. It's, it's ex- expression. It's storytelling. And I think country music specifically, it's simplistic um, melodies with simplistic phrasing not necessarily simplistic. I don't think it needs to be limited there, but mm-hmm. it's 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 telling a narrative about you know basic emotions that we all experience mm-hmm. from day to day. And I, I think you could argue that probably defines several genres of music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like lyrically, the content of country music, it's it's these old stories of heartbreak and and love and loss. It's not 
my truck drove away and my dog's gone with my girlfriend. (laughs) That exists, but to me, that's not what country music started out as. It's become something a little bit more um, diverse. But I think these days you can't define country music. And I think I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to or arguing with people. And I've really come to realize after playing with a lot of different artists and watching people up on stage and, and you know, sharing the stage with people is if it's resonating with other people and you're still getting those narratives across, uh, who am I to say what it is? Um, yeah. But personally to me, like what real genuine country music is, is yeah. An old style kind of way of, of portraying a narrative um not necessarily the, the, the lyrical content doesn't need to be about things that happened mm-hmm. in 1953 yep. but the way that um the storytelling is kind of bred within that genre is just something that i think is kind of unmirrored from a lot of other genres and it's kept it specific to what it is um we went and saw charlie crockett not that long ago mm-hmm. and that's something that I felt really good after leaving that. It's just like, wow, there is an ambassador for, for, for country music. And even him, I know he's called a lot of different things. People say he's not country, he's folk, he's blues, he's whatever, he's folk, folk rock. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's really cool to see them, that kind of music still being preserved to this day. Absolutely. And that really plays into how you described your music at the beginning, right? It's a little vintage. You know, it, you, hopefully it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's also authentic, right? right? And that's, I think, for, for me, I've always seen that authenticity has been the great equalizer. You can have the most fantastic singer in the world, but if they sing a song that they don't truly mean, you can tell it, right? They can be nailing all these vocal runs. They can be doing the craziest, you know, things ever, but, but you can see it. You can hear it. Um, there's, there's just, the, they lack that level of depth where they're truly understanding what they're singing about. But then you can hear someone like Neil Young, for example, Right? You'll, you'll never say Neil Young is the greatest technical singer in the world, but when he sings a song, you can feel it. Exactly. Right. And I think that, to me, is the important part of the artistry uh, at the end of the day is how is it sitting with other people or how is it hitting other people? And I think if, uh, I don't know, I, could, I only hope to have that kind of impact on somebody or maybe I have or, or one day. And I, that's the whole idea, I think, behind art, really. Absolutely. That's the beauty of music, right? Like we, of course, we make music because we enjoy it, but... We also make music because we want other people to feel what we're feeling, right? It's a way of expressing our, our internal emotions. Yeah, and I think that's why, especially in the country realm of things today, country with quotations, um, it's, it's very easily commercialized, mm-hmm. um, but authenticity is not easily commercialized. Absolutely. So that's yeah. why we have this kind of, I mean, I'm not going to name names. There's some fodder of <laughs> just stuff that's being <laughs> pumped out. Yep. Um, tractors and beer yeah yeah corn rain makes corn yeah. <laughs> like a good good one Hoss. um but no it just it, it it's something that they're taking an image of of authenticity and they're trying to string it into something that's commercially viable mm-hmm. and maybe yeah these guys are selling out arenas they're playing these huge shows but it's the to, to me the quality of the actual product the actual music it's not the same thing yeah it's it's almost like they're going out and putting on this big performance yep. and it's i can't knock them they got more money than i do and it's working but to me them going out doing that is not the same as johnny cash coming out in front of a, a sold out crowd and going in like the man in black or Absolutely. something like that that's yeah. like it's such an intimate euphoric experience the depth of the content definitely right definitely i think a, a really interesting example that everyone's been talking about is that uh, oliver anthony guy Yes, right. Oh, he's kind yeah. of the he's prime example of that, right? He's just this guy who's just singing some song, but it's a great song, and you can feel it, right? Yeah, the thing I love about Oliver Anthony specifically is when he came out, people went, "Wow, we have a Republican Tyler Chillers now." 
And then it quickly became the other side. They went, oh my gosh, Oliver Anthony is so left-leaning. Yep. And I, I just, I thought, this man is a genius. He put this song out, um, and I, I think there's a lot of debate as to lyrically what the content really means, mm-hmm. and I'm not weighing in on no, that. Just for reference, this is a, he's, he's kind of a viral star that just kind of came out right now. Right. And he's got this song called, I think it's Richmond, North of... North of Richmond, North of yeah. Richmond, where he's just talking about, you know, being a working class person these days and how taxes are going up, inflation, kind of things that we all struggle with, right? Yeah, and it was it was kind of a critique of, like, the, the American government mm-hmm. and how finance, financial aid has been giving out and uh, how people are really hurting. And I just thought, how how did he make such a divisive song by really not saying, I, mean, I don't want to say he didn't say much, but he just kind of went right down the middle mm-hmm. and he, he pissed off both sides. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he did that, he's doing something right. Absolutely, right? And, you know, of course, there's politics and music and everything, but I, I think it's just it's just a great song. It's just great. And, uh, of course, you can dive deep into the politics, but I like to enjoy music just uh, separate from the artist sometimes, separate from the political intentions behind it. Right? Yes, especially, I think, in an era where, I mean, you know, I think it is a case-to-case thing, but um, where everyone's business is being aired out consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you fault anybody around, you would find things you didn't like about Absolutely, them. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously, if there's <laughs> crimes being committed, that's one thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it is kind of a, it's a, it's an interesting debate is, you know, separating the artist from the actual art itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's just it's it's been an interesting example. It's always been in, it's been in the back of my head recently, right? Thinking about that that idea of how authenticity is so much more powerful than any, you know, a uh, group of executives sitting around a table trying to scheme how to make the next Morgan Wallen or something, right? And I think that's almost the blessing in disguise as being an independent artist. And I know we don't look at that all the time as going, gee, I, I'm so happy I'm an independent <laughs> artist and I'm not signing anybody. But in a weird way, it is a blessing because you have almost full creative control as to what you see fit. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of independent artists might kind of craft their sound to sound like something that's already commercially viable so that, you know, in hopes that they could blow up, um, which I, I'm not knocking that again. If that works, it works. But personally, um, I don't think I would be doing this if I couldn't be doing the songs I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like even the live show, like the set I do, if I had somebody telling me which songs to do and which songs I couldn't do, no, that yeah. wouldn't work for me. Absolutely, yeah. And I think uh, it's really funny now because I have a, I have a, a number of friends who have interacted with record labels, who have you know record deals and such, and it really does become much more limiting than you'd imagine. You think you imagine like label, you imagine you're like Jay Z in the back of a private jet flying around with champagne, right? But it's it really isn't like that at all. It's like they'll give you an advance and then they demand a product, and so they're basically paying for your music, which is great, of course, but it has to be music that they like, that they specifically like. So like, ah, we kind of hate this verse that you put your heart and soul into. Why don't you rewrite it as something a little more shallow, right? Right. And I think like within what I said too is you have to be careful of is having kind of like sopalyptic, like the the blinders are on Mm -hmm. and like, oh, I wrote this line. It's amazing. That's true. I just cured heartbreak. But I think it's good to collaborate in a sense of working with other musicians. Maybe maybe you're you're practicing at rehearsal. And somebody goes, "Hey, that lyric sucks," <laughs> and you just kind of register that. And it's, it's you've checked yourself, and you can go back and check it out. Maybe it's not true, but you, I think keeping having somebody to keep you in line is a good thing. But I think also remaining. I know this is kind of like a paradoxical thing I'm saying, but it's nice to have that control to kind of go where you do want to go mm-hmm. as opposed to, as you said, here's money, do what I say. Exactly. That's pretty much what it is, right? They're buying your services, but it's, it's so limited. It's, it's tough sometimes. Well, speaking of clara- clara- collaboration, <laughs> what would be your dream collaboration with someone living or dead? Oh. 
Um, shoot. I would say probably, I think the, like the easy one for me would be Hank Williams Jr. Yeah. Um, I just, I, so much, ins- I draw a lot of inspiration from that guy. Just the, his catalog of rock, blues, country, Southern rock, folk, bluegrass, you name it, he's done it. And I think that would, that'd make for a pretty cool song. Oh, and I man. think we, I think we, uh, we drink the same kind of whiskey. So I think we get <laughs> along pretty good. But, One um, step in the door right there, man. Yeah. Oh, hey, Hank, if you're listening, hit me up. <laughs> Um, probably also somebody like Tyler Childers, yeah. who's kind of like big on this, the modern scene right now. And it, it's kind of funny to say this, but he's become a controversial figure, mm-hmm. um, for the, the, the dumbest reasons I would say. Yeah. I think it's, it's opened up a, a good conversation, but I think, um, the reason people are mad at him is kind of silly. Yep. Um, but he, again, that's somebody that's covered so many different styles within kind of the umbrella of country and, uh, a wicked writer, wicked writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, those, those are great picks, man. Absolutely, and, and uh, even imagining just Hank and Childers together. Imagine that one, eh? <laughs> I think the world might blow up. If that, that would happened. be pretty wild. <laughs> like a Childers verse on a Hank Junior song. <laughs> oh, yeah, there'd be a lot of whiskey consumed in that room. I think. Oh man. Okay. Well then, let's think like Nick Boardman in like thirty years. You got the mansion in Nashville. Yeah. You're hanging out. Who would you cast in that biopic? Ooh. Okay, I think I'll split it into two. Okay, okay. There's got to be like a young Nick Boardman, <laughs> and there's got to be an old Nick Boardman. You could do a, bit, a time jump in the middle yeah. of the movie. I'd say the young, I, you know what? I don't know any young guys, young, young actors. I don't know. You know what? I take it back. I would either say Charlie Sheen. Okay. Or, or John Goodman. <laughs> oh, John Goodman, man. That would be great. <laughs> I could see, jo- he'd have to dress down a little bit to look a little younger, but I think John Goodman, Goodman can pull a good good me off that would be funny <laughs> that would be pretty good that'd be pretty good i would say like if, if you could make timothy timothy chalamet rug rugged yeah oh i do know that guy right yeah, i think yeah, he's yeah. kind of got similar facial geometry maybe okay i don't think he's rugged enough though to pull it off i'll put that in my tinder profile so <laughs> that helps me out well. but, uh, yeah, yeah we'll just we'll leave him in the woods for a week he'll come out looking better oh man well speaking of entertainment let's hear another song yes this next one here is called Home. Uh, this one was written with Matt Cable and a Clancy, and uh, it's available wherever you listen to music. Beautiful. Let's listen to Home by Nick Boardman. Without you, this house I'm in is not a home at all. 
We're back. That was Home by Nick Boardman. You're listening to Inside the Musical Mind on Midtown Radio. Welcome back, Nick. I'm happy to be back. I didn't get lost. I stayed right here. <laughs> All right. So I hear you're starting a show of your own. I am. I am. So here's my shameless plug. Okay. Um, so yeah, October 9th will be your first episode and it's uh, it's a podcast format. So it'll be out on Spotify and uh, we're hoping to get it out on some other some platforms. Uh, Hoss Chat. Hoss Chat. Hoss Chat. And it's just going to be me sitting down with uh, whether it be a musician, uh, somebody that maybe could even be working like a blue collar job. And it, the whole idea of the format of it is just to give somebody the floor for like 30 or 40 minutes to talk about their career maybe like if they have some insane stories and how you know as if it's a career kind of thing how did they get there um what really inspired me to do something like that was i was thinking about especially with music when i was kind of getting into it i was looking at stuff up online and uh, i was there was nothing really like hey i'm an an indie musician this is what my life's like like Mm -hmm. this is what you need to get ready for there was stuff like that but it was irritating (laughs) it was like come get ready with me for a day you know i don't want to so I just wanted to kind of highlight people, especially locally. I mean, do, through doing music, just I've met so many great people, a lot of creative people. And uh, I've heard so many great stories of things that I thought, you know, other people could really benefit from, from uh, if they uh, if they had the chance to actually hear these stories. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Hoss Chat will be out October 9th. Keep Beautiful. an eye for that. That's a lot of the reason why I started this show, too, right? Because I just felt that I was having so many great conversations with local musicians that I feel pe- other people should be able to hear, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want like I think it's such a funny thing nowadays to be like, I have a podcast now because yeah. how many parties or oh, things you've been on? Yeah. Some guy comes hey, in. Hey, man, I'm starting a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we should totally start a podcast. No, you should. You should go home. <laughs> yeah. But I think if you are contributing something to to, I don't know, or start a conversation, go for it. Why not? There's going to be some kind of audience for it. And like the whole kind of theme of this discussion has been authenticity. Right. Like like you said, just finding people and just having them just share their authentic lives. Right. That's such a, a valuable thing these days. 
Yeah, oh, for sure. And I mean, especially as like uh, musicians, um, especially like if we look at it from like a local lens too, it's like how many of these people do you actually ever hear from? Mm-hmm. You, you might see them, you might catch them at a show, you might see them perform somewhere and go, wow, they can really put on a show. Uh, but I, I almost love talking to musicians off the stage because there's nine times out of ten a way better story about what's going on than what you got <laughs> from stage. Um, and and we uniquely get to have those conversations because we're at the venue, you're in the green room, you're behind the scenes, you're, you're interacting with these people. And I just, I really thought, I was like, what if we could bring that from behind there and, you know, put it out to the public? Absolutely. Which means you have to be a little bit more careful about what you say. But <laughs> I think my favorite kind of moments, uh, you know, where you get the behind the scenes thing of being in music, I, I, I was playing at a wedding. And I was just hanging out with the DJ. So it was after the band had finished and the DJ booth was going crazy. And one of my friends was, was the hype man. And I remember he's like, jumping, everybody jumping, engineer, right? Like the crazy <laughs> hype man thing. And then I remember he turned over to me and he went, man, I hate doing this. <laughs> and, then, and then he turned back and he went, let's go. And he started <laughs> jumping up and down like crazy. It was, I, I swear, I was laughing my ass off the entire time because it was the funniest thing ever. He was like, I, man, I hate doing this. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> he went right back it's into true. it. It's <laughs> true. Well, I think about this too. Like, how many times have have either of us probably played a show where you feel like garbage, you're sick, maybe you're just worn out or whatever, and mm. and you go up there and you put a smile on, and you're like, "Hey, everybody, this is Robin. A great night tonight." And you you do your set, and then you walk off, and then you feel like dying after. Yep. But it's yeah, it's just kind of highlighting those behind the scene things, and not even from like the music uh, aspect in terms of like this podcast I'm doing. I also want to have some people that are you know real world <laughs> blue collar jobs. Um, or just, you know, the one I, I'm also fascinated with bringing onto the show is students. Mm. Like somebody that's like, I don't know, their third or fourth year and say, say they're in philosophy or something at, sure. at Laurier. Bring them in and just go, hey, this is what my experience with going to school has been like in this program. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you won't have the same one, but this is how it's been for me. And yep. I think that would be so beneficial for you know, in grade 11, 12, trying to figure out the rest of your life. And you're like, ah, I have no idea what I want to do. I think it'd be kind of interesting that if you could, if those videos were available to you where you could listen to this podcast or whatever and be like, oh, I thought about, I wanted to do this. Maybe I should think about this. Or I didn't think I'd enjoy doing this. This sounds kind of intriguing to me. Absolutely. And, there, and there's so many experiences that I'm sure all of us know in life where it, it's so much not what you expected it to be, right? You're, you're sold something. Then you show up, you're like, this is not what, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is this, right? I like to call that life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, absolutely. That's that's such a fantastic concept, right? And I think it's. I wish you all the success in that. Thank you, thank you, everyone. Tune into Hoss Chat and uh, Caleb Cool will be on. Ah, oh, there you in go. The next little bit, he doesn't know yet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of excited to have that out there. Um, when I have some time to like not do anything, For I sure. like watching podcasts or like listening to podcasts when I'm out on a walk. And uh, I've so I've just been absorbing a lot of that. And I thought like, oh, I I could contribute to this. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so absolutely. I'm gonna take a swing at it. Any other upcoming things coming up they'd like to... Promote? Yeah, so we're still kind of out on like a small little tour right now. So if you want to check out some more dates, uh, www.nickboardman.com. Love to see you out at the show. Uh, we've got a few things coming up over the next few months. Uh, big one that's coming up soon is uh, a Halloween Honky Tonk Ooh. over at the Lancaster Smokehouse. Uh, tremendous food, tremendous Love music, tremendous, yeah. tremendous people. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be doing a Halloween show. It'll be uh, myself along with the Boogie Boys. And uh, we'll be playing about an hour or two. And then it'll be a Halloween costume contest. If you have the chance to win $200 cash. $200? $200. Come out now. $200. <laughs> it's yours. It's like half your grocery bill. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a cash now ad. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're doing that. And uh, the calendar's full. So we'll hope to see you out there. Absolutely. Fantastic, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. All right. Let's wrap this up. 
by talking about the big stuff. Let's do it. Okay. If you were to look back at yourself starting your career or look at another artist kind of starting their career, what's the one big piece of advice that you'd like to give them? I think this is what I would say, um, just in terms, because this is kind of like what I experienced, and I think I'm still kind of figuring out the uh, the execution of this, but mm-hmm. I think especially creatively, we like to think that we're so influenced from the outside world of what's happening like in terms of industry, uh, infrastructure locally to us, and I think to a degree that's true, but I think we we make that a bigger hill than it, it needs to be. I think you are you as the artist, and I mean, this is just a thing for life, but I think specifically for art, you are solely responsible for how fast the train moves, where you're going, the momentum of your career. And I think it's kind of cheap to blame other people. I mean, everyone has different experiences, obviously, with life mm-hmm. and career. Um, but I found most of the impediments that I've found so far, like career-wise, it, me, had to, I had to make the change or I had to adapt to yeah. something, to maybe, you know, me in the country world. I'm making this older style country. People don't like playing that on the radio. Mm-hmm. So you have to adapt. What formats is this going to work on? Where can you get this in front of people? Um, same thing with gigging. Like, like I said, it's when it rains, it pours and that's beautiful, but to get into it to, you know, how do you book a show? Call a hundred people, maybe one person out of that'll be like, come play my little bar this weekend, something like that. And I think it's just, it's very important to keep in mind that you are the sole driver of the whole, the whole thing. And it's great to have people on your your side and team uh, in terms of career to kind of support you and help you out. But, um, at the end of the day, just, yeah, I think just break that facade of, you know, Oh well, this happened. I can't. I can't be a musician now. That's this actually, is the way it that's is. That's a really interesting perspective on it, right? Just thinking, because yeah, we. I think in a world as fast-paced as ours is, where we're exposed to so many different forms of media, and other artists and and such, right? Just so many external factors to to really sit down and just reflect and and think internally. You know, what are the actions that I'm taking to make this work? What are the actions I'm taking to inhibit myself from success? Right. I think that's a really great perspective, actually. Yeah, and I think like also kind of piggybacking on that is uh, depending upon where you live globally in the world, but I mean, there's probably a hundred other people in your town doing or attempting what you're doing, mm-hmm. and that's a nice little thing to to stay hungry for. Yeah, because um, it's, I mean, either you're doing something completely different than everybody else, or you're the best at it, or you're doing a combination <laughs> of both. But yeah, I think it's just so easy to box. I know so many musicians, great musicians that are. I, arguably at like a, a a lower level than I think they could be, yep. Um, because they've kind of boxed themselves into this weird, oh, I'm an, I'm a struggling indie musician, mm-hmm. and this is the level of in which my career is. No, keep going. Yeah, and I mean, there's no harm in that. If you're happy and content with where you at, great. But I just it's so cheap to me when you hear somebody complaining about, especially like in the the music world, career wise. It's like, oh, I I can see the holes. <laughs> I see where the the lies are absolutely and in an industry like this you have to just keep pushing right it's true if you stop pushing (laughs) it ends pretty quick it ends pretty quick man it's and i think there's no really there's really will never be any better advocate for yourself than you (laughs) that's true right it's true no one's gonna push your music as hard as if you don't believe in yourself whoever will right yeah and i I mean matt cable um he's been like a, a great friend great mentor he told me this quote one time and i think this is applicable for music and just career in life is uh there's three you got to be two of the three things to be a good musician okay. he says one is show up on time yep two be good to be around other people and three know your stuff mm-hmm. and i think that's just applicable in life i mean if you can be at three out of three you're probably in a good spot <laughs> that's true man absolutely right it's you can generalize and that that's kind of the 
that's my favorite one of my favorite things about music is the fact that it seems like such a niche uh, industry it seems like such a, a niche thing to say oh i'm gonna go play a show for these people and i'm gonna make money from the tickets and the merch sales and stuff but really like it is just another job and i think a lot of people outside of music who don't do you know this is a big part of their living don't see that don't see that you know the second we step off the stage i gotta go stop off in the grocery store on the way home to go buy groceries and i have to go you know go take my dog to the vet right and i have to go do all these normal things that it's it really is uh it it very quickly becomes a normal routine which is both beautiful in the fact that we can have this amazing fulfilling experiences as kind of your day job thing right as as part of your, your income but also it's kind of funny when you sit back and you think oh another gig whatever <laughs> when back in the day it used to be such a big monumental hill to climb That's true right i think it's the ability to kind of swim in the chaos yeah is especially as a musician your your schedule maybe you're booked for seven days and yeah. then all of a sudden you have two weeks off mm-hmm. and you're like what am i gonna do now yeah but yeah i th- again i think i mean to a degree uh, obviously there is Ex, you know external factors but you are responsible for your position career-wise um and if if you're not happy about it well, put some work in do something yeah absolutely right it's you'll never get anywhere if you don't do something yeah yeah it's too easy to complain and, and place blame where it's not really mm-hmm. existing absolutely man wise words well thank you so much for being on nick yeah thank you for having me on it was great really great enjoyed this conversation it's great talking about all things country music talking about your background your roots I get some it. some wisdom some insight there from the wise nick boardman oh, i've never been accused of that but i'll take it <laughs> no thank you man i appreciate having me on thank you so much for listening everyone please check out nick boardman on spotify apple music and anywhere you can find music and be sure to follow him on instagram and his website to stay up to date on all the latest shows and releases some of which may feature a familiar face. <laughs> In addition, check out his new podcast, Hoss Chat. Nick is a great friend of mine, and it was awesome being able to sit down and really get in-depth into his perspectives on music and what makes up his unique, diverse country music sound. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Caleb Koop, and this has been A Journey Inside the Musical Mind.